Welcome to Coffee with Curtis, your home for quality business conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Robert Curtis. Welcome to the podcast. Today on the program, we have Ben Morrison, CEO of Ben Morrison Consulting. Ben is a longtime veteran of the nonprofit and fundraising world. And we have a great conversation about the role of quote unquote sales and marketing techniques in charities, why working in nonprofits is just so rewarding, and also a look at the future of technology and innovation in the fundraising space. Ben was a really great guest. Enjoy the podcast. Ben Morrison, thank you so much for being a guest on Coffee with Curtis. Excited to have you on the podcast and talk about all things fundraising, business, nonprofit. So uh, delighted that you've agreed to join us. Thank you very much. It's great to, great to be with you and uh, really looking forward to this. It sounds like you're battling the same things that I'm battling here with a lockdown dog, Ben. Um, <laughs> before we came on air, we were exchanging war stories of having to handle the lockdown dog situation. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want one, but I gave in. Um, and the pleasure it gives my wife and kids is immense. But as we're talking now, he is chewing something that I didn't even ex- knew existed in my house. Like, and so, <laughs> sorry, you know, but um, oh, it is what it is. Anyway, yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of those campaigns, talking of, uh, you know, the world of fundraising and charity. You know, as a kid, do you remember the Battersea Dogs Home campaign of, you know, a dog is not just for Christmas, a dog's for life. Correct. Correct. A dog is not just for lockdown, it's for life. You're right, there were 3.2 million pets bought in the UK during lockdown. And when we go out at the moment, you can see the new pet owners, the new dog owners, and they're just having the, you know, and then the more established dog owners are just looking at them going, oh, you don't know what you're doing, you know. So, um, yeah, oh well. Oh well. <laughs> well, look, we don't want to turn this into a pet podcast. Let's well, dive in. Let's dive into uh, into some serious talk. And for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of knowing who Ben Morrison is, it'd be great if you just give us a 360 whirlwind overview of, you know, who you are and what you do. So I'm Ben Morrison. I run Ben Morrison Consulting, which is a fundraising consulting company. Um, I'm based in in London, in the UK. And in essence, I help charities raise more money than they're currently doing. And I help people who wish to be involved in philanthropy and giving to charity. And I help them with their strategic decisions regarding why they should give, who they should give to, and what impact their donations are being made. So anything really to do with raising money for for charities. Um, But ultimately, I am a a teacher of fundraising. So Ben, I think before we address the more um, perhaps conventional story that we wanted to cover around how to fundraise and some of the parallels with sales, marketing, and the importance of that, I think what you've just said is really interesting. You're also working with donors, high net worth individuals, organizations, I presume, that are forming their giving strategy. Um, how, how does that work? I mean, that's, that's, that's really getting into the nuts and bolts of people's philosophies and world outlook on a, if it's perhaps on a family office level. Um, it, really interested to hear how you do that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. There, there was a, I had a friend of mine who said to me, "I'm going to a business breakfast, and I know that I've been invited by a, by a, a client, and I'm going to be given a pledge card." I said, "Right." He said, "How much do I give?" 
And I said, well, are you, are you paying for the breakfast? He said, no. I said, how much is the ticket for the breakfast? He said about 150 pounds. I said, well, look, it's up to you what, what you would like to give. Um, it might be a nice idea to cover the cost of the breakfast, so that's 150 pounds, but that money won't go to charity, it'll go to the caterer and the hotel. So perhaps think about um, think about a number that you're comfortable with, or perhaps look on the marketing uh, uh, material from the charity on the pledge card. Is there actually something that says it will cost 500 pounds to do something for something, or our, our impact would be a thousand pounds, you know, to help these children or, or animals or whatever that are the causes? And I guess it's it's the same on a, on a high level as well. Just because somebody would like to give away money in a philanthropic way it doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to do it um, and so in conversations with major donors that I've that I've worked with over the last 20 25 years or so I I guess I'm a trusted person that they would say to me listen I've been involved in this charity before and I've given and it hasn't gone as well as I would have thought it would do or the impact hasn't been as as, as strong could you help a, they don't say, can you help and advise? But by asking questions and building up the relationship, uh, building a stronger relationship, it gets to the point where they say, I'm going to do this for this charity. Would you think that's a good idea? So, um, and that's that's how it's worked for a number of, I guess, high value people. I, I, but I presume it's, uh, you know, I'm just thinking how I give, and obviously it's a completely different scale, but yeah. the same philosophy applies that we're still consumers in some respect but it's even more nuanced and important than you know which apple mac am i going to buy this time um because we don't have to give we don't need to give to any specific organization so it has to align with your own particular value set world outlook things that you're interested in and believe in and it's ultimately an emotional purchase well yes but you don't need an imac an apple mac you don't need a night trainers you don't need coca-cola we don't we don't need to drink fizzy drinks so so everything that you've said there is, ab is absolutely right and i guess it comes down to your values of of um when, when you when you when people make a donation to charity it's usually because either they have benefited or they know someone who has benefited from that charity. But more often it's because somebody has asked you. Now you may say to me, uh, Ben, I'm involved in this project near where I live and we are rescuing, I don't know, uh, donkeys from, from something. I've got no real interest in donkeys, but because I've got an interest in you, because I've got a connection with you, because I think you're a, you're a, a good guy and you wouldn't be involved with something, that perhaps wasn't wasn't proper. Do you know what? I'll make a donation. If you ask me, I'll make a donation. If you don't ask me, I don't know anything about it. So yeah, we we are given all these. We're given too many choices as consumers when it comes to buying products that may help us fulfil a need in our life or not. But there is nothing better than making a donation to a charity and the feeling that you get by knowing that, you know, hopefully you will, are creating an impact. Um, there's something around, oh yes, but charities spend too much money on marketing or chief execs, and we can perhaps come on to that. And I can, I can, you know, I can fire back a good argument against that. 
but yeah, I think I think that that's it. That ultimately, if you are asked to give by people that you trust or that you've you've had help from the charity and know someone that has helped, then you know why not give? I think what's interesting is actually probably the change, whether you want to call it democratization of charity's ability to be seen through social media first of all, but the the power of the smaller donation perhaps so you know your aunt's running the marathon for a charity you have nothing to do with and maybe you don't even align with what they're doing but actually because your aunt is running the marathon you have to give um, because she'll never speak to you again well look take it back to the first time we probably all fundraised we were eight years old ten years old in the classroom and the teacher said we're all raising money for this whatever this was uh, in our day, Blue Peter, you know, whatever. And you walk and you had your sponsorship form and you went home and you got your mum and dad and your grandma and grandpa. It is exactly the same now, but it's on Just Giving, it's on crowdfunding pages. It is the same. And there's this visibility with social media. Ben Morrison has given to Rob Curtis £50. Doesn't Ben feel amazing? And then Rob has to thank Ben and Ben feels all warm and fuzzy. But... <laughs> That's how it was done back in the day. How many sponsors have you got? You know, and that's why the names of people are on the side of museums and synagogues and hospitals and theatres. And that's why companies um, are involved in corporate philanthropy as, as well. There was something about that, but yeah, you're right. It's hard to say no to people that you are connected about. And ultimately, like sales, marketing, business, this is about relationships. So, Ben, you've worked in this sector for a long time. And I think what would be really interesting to hear from you is why working in the nonprofit world is exciting to you. Um, because I think it's a, a really interesting space that actually may have a um, a boost in interest from the work market um, coming coming out of Corona. Well, I mean, if you think about it, nearly all of us turn to a charity at some point in our life, even if we don't really realise it. You know, charities underpin our way of life. They provide, you know, foundations for our cultural, religious, and educational establishments. Um, they are there. At the, you know, medical research that we may benefit from, health services, support from the vulnerable in society, the disadvantaged, the young, the old, we will at some point in our life, whether or not, benefit from one of these organisations. Um, and I think that what's really exciting about working in the, the not-for-profit, the charity world, is that, you know, I think anyone is a bit naive if they think that working for a charity is an easy job is exceptionally difficult because you are, the, the product is sometimes intangible, you know? Um, changing the world is a very difficult thing to do. But even if you are trying to do things on a really micro local level, it's difficult and people say no. And when you are asking money for pe from people, companies, organizations, they say no. So you have to have a real resilience. So that makes the successes even sweeter even more sweeter um you know and the we, we all are get get involved in charities as well because as we've just mentioned people ask us 
to be involved in in charities. People don't, but but also you can you can yourself you can get involved in a local cause, and you know people don't ask you to be a volunteer accountant or a volunteer lawyer, you know. Um, but as we saw during coronavirus, lots of people said, "How can I help?" Uh, the poor, the the vulnerable, those at the fringes of society in our community. How can how can we help? I think also, if you think about it, the skill set and the disciplines are just the same as they are in the in the for profit world. You need excellent financial skills to be able to make sure you've got enough money to pay for the things your charity wishes to do. You've got to have the right marketing and sales skills to be able to sell your cause in the most compelling way attract donors you've got to have i mean if you're looking after high net worth individuals you know you've got to have the same skills you know as, as private not the financial skills but the same customer related skills as wealth managers you've got to have great event skills to be able to put on events you've got to have the strategic thinking skills as, as well so um i think that there's and ultimately at the end of the day you are benefiting society you're not benefiting shareholders getting richer so, yeah, if you want to sell products that increase, enhance people's lives, fantastic. But if you want to be able to, you know, get really make an impact on society, then, and you live in society, then, then it's a great and a really exciting and innovative uh, um, industry to be in. And it's big. It's very big. And I, I think this comes back to what you were talking about earlier around perhaps the, the pay gap issue between non-profits and for-profits. Because what you've just described is, you know, very similar to say my world, my wheelhouse of, you know, technology companies, you've got startups, you've got corporates, and all of those skill sets and attributes and mindset need to align to, to push forward, you know, those businesses, but they're paid commensurately. And But there is this, there is this, and I, probably agree with you wrong view that because you work in a non-profit that the non-profit shouldn't be able to align their salary scale to working in the business world because you want the best people I don't understand that argument it's, it's really it's really weird and I think that you see a shift and change change you know ultimately you've got a board of trustees who are there because hopefully for the right reasons uh, and they're probably all high well have had a business experience and on one hand, they're saying we need to raise more money, but on the other hand, they're saying we're not going to spend any more money to raise more money, you know. And we know from business that can't happen. And why wouldn't you want to pay for to bring in the best fundraiser, the best marketer, the best, the best CRM people, the base, the best? You want the best people delivering the care or helping the cause, don't you? You don't want. You know, you don't want your grandma being looked after an average care worker. You want your grandma being looked after the best care worker. You don't want your school, your kids to go to a, a school that, you know, has got okay teachers. You want it to go to the best teachers. Or you don't want to go to a museum that's got, you know, average artworks. You want to go and see the best art, artworks. So I, I don't, I think it's because originally, if you think about where the, you know, the professionalization of charities, you know, it was religious organizations, the church, the synagogues, and the mosques that said, you know, we are here to look after the poor, the sick, the ill. Who's going to do this job? We'll give it. Volunteers did it. And eventually the volunteers became more professionalized. Um, 
and you just now need to go to any of the charity tech conferences or any of the charity con fundraising conferences to see what big businesses that the, the these are that there was money there but yeah there's there's always a you know this chief executive of this charity was paid 150,000 pounds and it's a scandal why if the aim of the charity is to look after the most cats it can or elderly people or cure cancer why wouldn't you want the best people there um for so me it's a bit of the same argument and you know they 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 are they get a bad rap compared to charities but it's the same argument for mps and the prime minister i don't actually think they are paid commensurate to the job and if these people were working in for-profit organizations in the country or around the world they'd be earning considerably more um, and you know, I don't, I don't chime with that argument. It's, it is a weird, it is a weird one. And, and you know, what makes somebody who is, it's interesting because you mentioned something about an emotional connection. And yeah, you can have a captain of industry, a lady, you know, somebody who's run very successful lady running her business. But then when she sits around the board table talking about charity stuff, maybe the emotions take over, and rather than rather than the the business logic to it uh, and it can be that the decisions that are made aren't the, aren't the same business aren't the same decisions that may be made in, in a business um, because of this view of donors money but if you speak to donors you know if you actually do and say look you know we're, this is where your money is going to that 85% of this of your donation is going to go on this. It's no, it's no different to running investors who right. give you millions of dollars into a business to grow the business. They want to know where their money's going. They want quarterly reports on what you've spent. There's no difference. I think what's interesting about what you said before about having the best people, um, you know, for the little bit that I did um, in the charity world as a volunteer when I lived in the UK, helping build a local school, Yes, we had to raise, you know, millions of pounds, but we treated that project and the team that came together were, it was just an alignment of the right people at the right time compared to maybe other school projects that had been going for a long time as well, but didn't raise the money. It was about just an alignment of saying, right, how are we going to treat this like a, any other business startup? How are we going to do, do things differently? How are we going to, you know, spend money to make money as well? Yeah, well, look, I think, first of all, I think that you're, you're being quite modest because and your, your, your listeners need to realise that you raise quite a, quite a considerable amount of money to build a primary school, which is, a you know, and it's going to be there for many years and it's something you should be very, 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 very proud of. Um, so well done to you on, on that. Um, Thank you. It's a pleasure. But, yeah, you're, 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 you're right. It's, um, charities are usually started off because someone has a passion for something or they benefited from something and want to or, or they have you know a, a life a life occasion or a not a life occasion what's the word a life uh, occurrence medical condition or something and then they want to raise money and start a charity and the problem is that they're usually very passionate and good at the subject but they're not great at marketing, fundraising, IT strategy. So you've got a lot of, I think in the UK, something like 95% of all charities raise more, raise, raise less than something like 200,000 pounds or 300,000 pounds. Wow. Because there are lots of small charities that were started off because of something, 
and they can never really grow because they the people involved haven't taken that step to not be the founder and to bring other people in. When I work with small charities, that's usually the problem, that they started off because of something, a reason that the founder had experienced something and they're stuck. And they go, well, you know, we raise £120,000 a year. How do we raise money? I say, employ a fundraiser on 50 grand. Oh, we can't do that. So we, I said, well, then you're just going to have to keep going back like you did with your sponsorship form in year, year eight or year nine to go to your family and friends to give you money. And eventually they, they're, they're saying no. But I don't think that's any different in the business world. It's just the growth mindset. You'll have CEOs who are very cognizant of growing the company, scaling the, the people, investing in people to, to do that, rather than some CEOs who never really take their company beyond that stage because they still have that me, me, me mindset, not even just in a selfish way. It's just they don't have that growth mindset and there is that, that unwillingness to let go. Yeah, and I think also, I think also, I mean, sometimes a charity will say to me, we want to raise more money. And so the first question I ask them to me is, what for and why? And what impact will it make? And why should people give to you? And they sort of look at me and blink eyes a bit and they're like, well, we just want to raise more so we can do more. And I said, yeah, but have you got the capacity to do more? Do, do, is that really your strategy to do more? Aren't you doing okay with what you're doing? Just because your competitor is doing something right. doesn't, doesn't mean that you should be. So sometimes I, I, the best bits of advice I can give to charities is just to focus on what they're doing really well rather than trying to extend themselves if they're not in the best if they're not ready to do to do it all, I think as a consultant, you go in and you look at a charity's strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes, you know, then they may have a strength to be able to 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 be an expert in the services they're delivering to the beneficiaries. But they've got to sort out their marketing or their finance or their governance or their HR, etc. And you got to take it take it take it step by step. Ben, before we start to talk about sales and marketing in the charity world, where are you seeing the sort of innovation come in, um, sort of on a you know thirty thousand foot view level in terms of, you know, we spoke before probably the democratization happened in the last decade. You know, the internet enabled online giving and mass giving and sharing. Where's the next frontier that the charity world is looking at for innovation? Innovation is interesting. I mean, just to take a step back, the UK, in terms of the UK, I can only really speak for the UK, but the amount of money that's been donated to charities has stayed flat over the last four or five years at around £10 billion. So whatever innovative ideas there are, that they're not working at the moment, or perhaps it's too, it's too early to see. Now, obviously, with crowdfunding and digital and Facebook giving, et cetera, and Virgin giving, and all these online giving platforms that has helped with the democratization of, um, of fundraising. So more people can get involved, particularly the 36 hour fundraising campaigns that are doing so well in certain, certain, certain communities. But I guess for looking at innovation, charities have to make sure that they stay relevant, you know, um, Gain the gain, regain the public trust, um, fend off commercial competitors. Uh, at the same time, more people will need their services. 
um, making those who lead our charities become more bold and brave. Look, as we saw, I can, can you imagine going to your trustee board and saying, we want to start doing video calls and you know, this is in February, 2020 <laughs> and then saying, what are you talking about? No way, you know, and then a month later, the trustees themselves were doing telephone calls. So think things can happen like that. Um, people, you've got to secure the right people. You know, how can we become better leaders at our charities, really invest in the right people and give them opportunities posed by, you know, using new, new technologies. Um, data is a huge thing for charities. How we can really put data at the heart of making difficult and strategic, difficult decisions and strategic challenges. Um, how can we collaborate? Why should there be 10 cancer charities all raising, trying to raise money from the same thing? You know, let's, let's look at that. We've looked at, you know, in Corona time, we're still in, in the pandemic, there was huge collaborations with charities and funders, and it took a pandemic for them to knock their heads to, together, you know. Um, but I guess, I, guess, I guess that's also part of this general trend that we all are probably um, victim to, um, which is that we all want our own flavour of what we like. So whether <laughs> that's Netflix, different news channels, you know, I particularly like this cancer charity over a different one uh, because they do this, 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 this and this. But the challenge is obviously then with this splintering of so many charities who are working within the same wheelhouse, but having their own sort of capsule within that is is difficult. It's a very demanding challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there should be 15 cancer charities if 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 that's the right thing that that is needed and it's not for me to say that there is a there is a, there is or there isn't i think something really interesting with data is because we now give away so much information about ourselves i think the companies that work with charities to be able to say look not only will we you're looking to get new donors right not only will we help with your donor acquisition but we can be even better than what's already out there because we're going to use AI or we're going to use profiling or we're going to use the new technologies that haven't even yet been, been uh, created yet. You know, <laughs> if, you were, if, you were, if you were able to find 10 donors who would give to a primary school building uh, that fitted the ideology of your kid, of your and your family in where you built it 10 years ago, you know, and it's just a spreadsheet, the job's done in, in, in a way. So, you know, are we going to start giving to causes that we get influenced to give to because of our subliminal AI? I think that's something quite interesting. Or really, do you just give because somebody asks you to sponsor them? I'm not sure. There's innovation there. Really interesting. Now, I want to talk about two areas um, a specific uh, interest to me, which is the whole world of sales and marketing. You know, that's what I do day in, day out. And, you know, again, coming back to my own experience in the sector, um, raising money for a school, I treated it as, you know, as the fundraising governor of the school, I treated it like any other sales process. I had my donors who were my prospects. Um, these were the leads. 
Um, and then I would nurture them through the sales funnel, let's call it that, until they closed and they made a donation. Now, the approach to handling that, the, the skill set that I brought to it was exactly the same as handling a sales funnel in my day job. And it worked. It worked really well because there was follow up. There was marketing with it. Um, often, I, I guess you see this within your role. Um, we try and tell the story of an organization, um, but yet the execution part maybe is not there because we need to bring more of the sales and marketing methodology that we see in, in other places. I mean, you and I have spoken before about, you know, the world of Gary V and, you know, everything he says is completely applicable to the charity world. Get out there, tell the story, keep posting all of this stuff. Um, what are your thoughts? Look, you know, I remember arguing with somebody when they said I work in fundraising and they said, oh, you work in sales. Because to me, then I've been involved in fundraising for 23, 24 years. S sales, you know, to a fundraiser, sales is a dirty word. Right? <laughs> and that's completely wrong because what you've just said is there is a methodical approach that you need to take. And it's first of all, who are, you, who are we going to ask? How are we going to ask? What are we going to ask them for? Why should they give? And you wrap around that the case for support and to tell your, your story in a compelling way. You know, a salesperson is trying to sell a product to a person. We are trying to make persons, people donate. There is a lot of overlap, and I think both could learn from, from, from each other. I think that... You know, charities sometimes are rubbish at thanking people for donations. Really rubbish. I mean, I got a message on my Amazon Prime the other day to say, thank you for being a, a Prime Amazon, an Amazon Prime customer. And I thought, where's well, your pleasure? Absolutely, you know, that was Alexa <laughs> speaking to me. But, you know, when you get that email from your company, from a, a company you've bought a product from, you go, ah, because I've just bought, it's 10% off. They're very clever. They've got this system, the sales funnel. They want me to do 10% off. Okay. Oh, and I've got 20% off. And if I refer a friend. But if you give a donation, you know, it, they say that the best time to ask for somebody is once they've, which is once they've just given. Right. Well, that can actually annoy a lot of people sometimes. So charities can go, oh, great. Well, we got this donation from Rob Curtis. Let's leave him alone now. Let's not thank him. Let's not tell him anything about anything. But this time next year, we'll say, hi, Rob, you gave this time last year 50 pounds. Could you give 50 pounds again? And you'll go, well, I haven't heard from you for a year. You know, so I think there is a lot that both industries, the, the sales and market, well, the sales world and fundraising, they are similar bedfellows, but there's, there's, there's nuances because it's the, I guess, fundraisers. But fundraisers have targets and, and they're measured on targets. And if people think that, I know some fundraising who've got really challenging stretch targets and fundraisers are not or shouldn't be rewarded on commission of what they achieve. Why, yeah. why, why do you say that? That's an interesting point, why? Because, because, well, I say it for a couple of reasons. First of all, the uh, the 
Chartered Institute of Fundraisers gives it as a rule that you shouldn't do it. Okay. It's a pretty good one. And there's lots of the, the, the fundraising regulators said it's, it's, it's not best practice. I guess it's because you could then become a gun for hire that isn't really connected to the charity. You're, you are basically, you're, you can pressurise the donor into making the donation for the sale. And just like there was this lady, Olive Cook, who, a Scottish poppy seller, who a number of years ago, um, she, she had, I think, if I'm, the story is right, she eventually took her own life th through the stresses of being, it wasn't the main thing, but the bombardment of charity requests. It's a really tragic case, and it really made the charity commission, the charity industry, take a look at itself on, on how it fundraises from vulnerable people. And she was a vulnerable person. And I can provide, you know, I, you can provide your listeners some links to the stories in case I've got how she passed away wrong, and I apologise for that. But if you are on commission, you are going to pressurise people to make that sale. You are, because I don't think there's a... I'd like to hear from salespeople who are only on commission only, Mm. and to, to see if it is to understand how they do what what they do i mean uh, look, commission commission only is something that i've only ever seen really done in an american sales model i don't personally think that works at all i don't think it's healthy for the whole ecosystem that a person should be only motivated to win via commission because i think it produces bad behavior but i think i think there is an argument to say that commission could play a part in fundraising i'm surprised that there isn't commission actually because there's only so many times me as a fundraiser, commission or no commission, I can keep going to the same donor. You know, this year I'm selling cancer. Next year I'm selling a museum. The year after I'm selling donkeys. And that is why as a fundraising consultant, I don't fundraise on behalf of my clients. So people come to me and say, do you have a black book? Can you raise money for us? I say, I have a black book. I can't raise money for you. I can teach you how to fundraise which is much better than me fundraising for you because in 12 months time, I will then be fundraising for somebody else. And it doesn't work, it's, and it's, it's, not, it's not sustainable. I want, to, I want charities to employ the best fundraisers they can to have to, to employ and to train people to become resilient, to become um, brilliant communicators, to become strategic thinkers, to reward, to reward them for their work, to train them, to invest them, to give them responsibilities, to, to help them raise their profile, and then they become committed fundraisers who are brilliant advocates and ambassadors for, your, for, for the charity. And then they become great managers and leaders, etc. Unfortunately, that's not as it is in the industry. I'm sure it's similar to a lot of industries, but you you, you see, because at the moment you can't do an undergraduate degree in the UK in fundraising. So you, why, so so you can be, you can be a volunteer fundraiser at university and you can take part-time jobs and you, whatever, but you can't, not that you need a degree in fundraising, but there is the, the professionalism about the, your, your fundraising training and your education. You don't need any experience to become a fundraiser. And a lot of it is learnt, learnt knowledge and watching other people. Um, but 
you know, if you've got a target of, if you're a junior fundraiser and you've got a target to raise £10,000 or £50,000 and you're new and you're new to work and the new to the, you know, to everything, that's, you're going to struggle unless you've got great managers and leaders and, and people are investing in you. Fundraisers usually spend, junior, junior to middle fundraisers usually spend 24 months, 30 months where they are before they move on. And I, the irony is that that's when they get the organisation, they get the cause, they get the donors and, and start having some uh, achievement. I guess from a marketing perspective, um, as we wrap up, Ben, the typically the, the high-end donors are often in the, you know, baby boomer generation who've got more disposable income. Maybe they've, you know, you know, retired, they've had inheritance or from, from, you know, passed away parents, or they've done extremely well in business and built funds and all the rest of it. But there is this new cohort of Gen Zers, Gen Zs, um, you know, the, the later millennials who are very connected to specific purposes and causes, and they may or may not have as much high-end disposable income, but they do have perhaps that grassroots ability to give more to many um, or give smaller amounts to many. H- how do you see marketing play a role in educating and building you know, brand fans? Because charities need to be brands today um, in that cohort particularly. Well, I think you, know, you, you go back to the, the guy who was at the business breakfast and didn't know how, how much to give. You know, I think brands, I mean, it's, it's not I answering your question directly, but I think that the charities have a, have a role to play. You know, just as uh, people who sell to us teach us how to buy, you know, we need to learn how to buy. We also need to learn how to give and, 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 and how to give and why we should give. I think that marketeers have got a huge role to play in educating the... It's a really, really interesting question. I think, you know, the people who have grown up with the internet and the social media, um, the charities in a way need to be able to harness their creative ability uh, to be able to help them with their marketing. Because usually the person doing the social marketing in a charity is the youngest person, which is not (laughs) the best thing to do. Or they're print ad agency has gone digital and the people they now are trying to shoehorn what they did from a, in a print point of view or TV or DR TV point of view on, onto to, 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 to digital. Um, look, it's really competitive and how, you know, if you think of the old, the, the, the old school, what we called flies on their eyes, appeal videos, which is an awful phrase, but it was the comic relief and it was the Africa and look, these poor children are dying, give money. We're all a little bit, that resonates, but we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. So the the messaging has to be more, has to work harder, I I think. I think that there's great opportunities for marketeers to, you know, charities are not, from my experience, they're passionate about what they do, but they don't know how to sell it. They don't, they can't really, uh, in my experience, they're not great at selling, at telling people that. 
And if marketers can help them do that in a way that achieves whatever the strategic goal is for the charity, it may not be uh, money, it may be volunteers, it may mm. be it may be signing campaigns, it may be moving, creating movements. There's a lot of people in the movement technology space, you know, to help charities sign up people for petitions and stuff. I think there's some, there's some really great opportunities ahead um, to coach and to train people into marketing, but they have to be able to sell it to them in a way that the people above them who make the decisions about the money, it has to be affordable. I think because charities, you know, as we've talked about, as as we've talked about, they don't, they can't spend the most they can on things. Um, so it has to be affordable. But but look, we we again we've spoken about this before. The ability to be seen by many is has never been easier and has never been more affordable. And so, any charity of any size, notwithstanding, you know, probably still stuffy boards of trustees who are not used to an internet generation um, who have, you know, captained these charities over many years from a, uh, a board level. It's content, it's creative, it's telling the story, it's the journey. It doesn't have to be the youngest person in the office, but it's consistently putting out that message um, and, 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 and getting into your pros- prospects feed. Right. And, and I would say actually that what what works, what has the most impact, you know, is really is the beneficiaries turning the the iPhone camera on themselves and showing us their lives and showing us how they've been benefited. I love that. I love that. Which which is better than any report could do or any absolutely. Customer. Fundraiser. It comes back down to, again, you know, I'll, I'll perhaps leave it with this, that in my world, and I think in your world as well, the same rule will apply, that people buy outcomes. So it's not what this particular piece of technology does, it's what's it going to do for me. And in the charity world, people like to buy outcomes in terms of when I give this donation, what impact actually does this have in the constituency you're, you're looking to help? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're right. And when we buy things, yes, we've bought that pair of trainers or whatever, and it makes us feel good. Um, but it would make us feel even better if the donations that we're giving that think we just think end up in a black hole in admin, actually, charities could give us more feedback from those who, who benefit and actually how the, the donation has uh, the impact it's, got, it's had on their lives. Ben, this has been insightful, as I expected, and, you know, it's it's really interesting to see the work that you do and, you know, being at the coalface of working with all these different organisations, big and small, across probably a whole range of different verticals. And uh, I guess you can, you know, put your head down at night and feel proud about the work you're doing. So, you know, keep going. And uh, we really um, appreciate you having having you on the podcast. Right. It's been really great. And you've asked some great questions that have made me think. So that's I've learned as well today. So thank you so much. Cheers, Ben. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I've got some great future guests lined up. So please remember to follow and subscribe to the channel wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. 